And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from an internal block or barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when you when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Holistic Human Optimization Show. I'm your host, as always, Ronnie Landis. And today I am joined by a good friend of mine, incredible transformation coach, lifestyle entrepreneur, an incredible human being with uh, some deep down Doug Rich wisdom to share with us all, Mr. Brandon Bosarth. And um, yeah, we, we have a lot to get into, and uh, I didn't take any notes uh, particularly because I know that the flow will guide us, but there is a particular theme, uh, maybe a couple themes that I want to dive into with you, sir, and we, we had a good little wrap before we got into the recording, just talking about what we've been experiencing in our own upgrade and optimization journey, um, which I think will be relevant for you know where we want to go with this, but... Um, you know, the, the flow will guide us. But ultimately, um, this, this talk <clears throat> for me is really about transformation. And as simple as that term may seem, especially for those of us who have been in this transformational space and all the different iterations and subsets and subdivisions of the transformational community and industry as a whole, personal development industry, spiritual industry, whatever you want to call it, let's just call it a big, huge tribe and community at this point. Um, with so many parts and puzzle pieces involved and so many people doing so many um, unique things in the field of transformation, yourself being one of those people, um, I want to just start us out. Well, first of all, I want to know how you're doing in this moment, <laughs> and we'll kind of go from there. <laughs> how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing really good. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm already feeling the the flow of inspiration guiding the conversation. Like you said, the flow knows where we need to go. So just, just happy to flow and to be here. Yeah. Awesome. I, I understand that you just came off 
a transformational retreat with some other facilitators. I know your partner, Ashley, she's known her for a number of years. Amazing, amazing health coach and uh, vegan chef, plant-based chef. And uh, she was part of it as well, I'm, I'm sure, right? Yeah, yeah. We had a nice, beautiful little tag team. She was holding down the kitchen. We were in the ceremonial room and then meeting back up for, you know, ceremonial dinner. I mean, when you're at these kind of retreats, everything is a ceremony, you know, so mm-hmm. when are you in and when are you out? <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was an amazing. Uh, uh, and we had, I think, maybe eight other facilitators. And so at one point there was it was almost a one to one, maybe a one to two facilitator um, attendee ratio. And what one thing I'll just mention before we, we get off of that subject is. The con what what continues to be reinforced is the content of the of the um, experience is so secondary to the context and the energy of the the experience. Mm-hmm. And people, I remember you know people towards the end go, I don't even remember what we did day one or day two, mm-hmm. but I know that I feel completely different, right? Yeah. And and I know that I'm making new choices, and I know this is now available, and I have this new idea. And there's just something so powerful about creating a field of intention, yeah. you know? And so that's, that's, it was a really great takeaway. Uh, just a reinforcing idea again is mm-hmm. what we, what we say, how we say it, or even what we know isn't as important as who we are being yes. in the space. Yes. The, I'm so, it's so cool. You brought that up, but particularly the context versus the content perspective. This is something um, I was actually I've been doing a lot of the people that follow this podcast know because I've, I've alluded to this already that I'm going to be cycling off of the interview series and we're getting close to 200 live interviews, which is just, you know, outrageous. If you imagine that's, that's 200 more than probably 230 hours. Um, and uh, just incredible interviews. I'm so grateful that I stuck with it all this time. It led you and I to this moment. And you're one of the, the, the final <clears throat> interviews in this series. And one of the things, so basically why I mentioned that is because I've been recording every single day, sometimes twice a day, solo episodes that go into all kinds of different topics. And one of the things that's been coming up, I think it was like one or two episodes ago that I was recording, was this idea of context informing the content. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is kind of a quantum mechanics principle. It's a transformation principle. And it's something that I realized many, many years ago, working with health clients and understanding the nature of healing and in um, what we call like life extension or, um, you know, just the nature of healing, which also is pretty much the same as transformation, pick your, pick your flavor, whatever conversation you want to have. One of the things I realized talking to so many different people that have so many varying physiological conditions um, is that I noticed that there's, there's a, there is um, in kind of the allopathic world, there is, or even the nutrition world, there is a tendency to prescribe general advice or kind of rinse and repeated advice to people that have specific conditions. However, what I realized is that the context informs the content of the advice or of the information that I think is most relevant. So for example, if somebody has a particular, you could say, for example, you have multiple people that have stage four breast cancer, right? You could say, oh, it's this, this, and this. That's, that's, that's the protocol. And that may be true 
that may be 50% of it, right? But then the other 50% of it is the context of where that person has been in their life, psychologically, emotionally, what are they dealing with spiritually, what's underneath the hood of the car, so to speak, and how did that particular, the, 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 the symptom, how did that manifest in a unique way for that individual and what's their relationship with that? I found that context in and of itself gave me information to advise people in very unique ways, even though on the surface, maybe they're all dealing with a similar condition. The context informed the content versus the content informing whatever the, the situation. I just want to mention that as maybe even a segue because you brought up a very important principle. And I think if everybody could actually focus on the context of their experience or the experience that they want to have and make that the focal point, then the content, i.e. the strategies, the tactics, the habits, the routines, those will naturally fill themselves in almost as an automated behavior versus trying to fix the behavior without focusing on the context, i.e. the goal, the dream, the experience that I, I most desire to have. Yeah, I love that. And when it comes to what's relevant in the in the world of transformation, as far as maybe like a true north or guiding mechanism of life that I offer is the context being acting on anything that is inspiring and passionate, regardless of the form. You could say the content is the form. So I, one form may be you're a musician, one form may be the way that you, you know, show up as an entrepreneur, one form might be going for walks in the park. The form will always change. The excitement, the inspiration doesn't change. It just changes form. Mm. And so when, when you're looking at your life through the context of where is the inspiration, and in a sense, what you're doing is you're, you're looking at life through the lens of your heart, mm. not through the lens of logic. And you're saying, which one of these feels in it like this? Because then you're actually tuning into the self-organizing nature of, of the universe the the energy that effortlessly builds forests and trees and holds this whole thing together, which contains the path of least resistance, the amount of impact, we were talking about this the other night, mm. impact that you can most possibly create in that moment. Mm. And, and one of the things that I say is, it's never that we lack or are not creating impact. It's that if we feel or are experiencing ourselves not creating impact, it's not that we're not creating impact. It's not, we're not perceiving the impact that we're already creating because we can't create more impact than we are in this moment. This moment we are creating as much impact as we need to be creating. Mm. We're either tuned into that, showing ourselves evidence of that, reinforcing that idea, or thinking impact lies in something that I do beyond this moment, mm. which will always create a gap between myself in the now and the version of me that is creating impact. And so if we understand that, wait a second, not just the best choice for me, but the best choice for all people, all things, in every dimension, if we get like meta, in every dimension across time and space, is for me to act on this divine inspiration, which is a receptive energy. That's, something, that's not something you generate. In a sense, it's not really from you as a physical being, it is a, re a reception. That reception is not only the, the best um, step for you, but it's, it affects everyone in the highest and takes into consideration every variable that our minds can't comprehend. Mm -hmm. and, and getting over to that is mm -hmm. called surrender. 
People think you give up control when you surrender, but you're actually giving over your control to something that is 10 times more intelligent than this perspective of you, you call a physical body. Yes. Yes. Very, very well said. And the way that I would maybe even in translate that or distill that further is this idea that your future is informing the present, right? And from that multidimensional perspective, which we could geek out on for a while, it's in simple terms, it's really this idea that there's multiple timeline probabilities or potentials. Mm -hmm. And yes, all things exist simultaneously, which is even bigger kind of conversation, which we don't need, need to go into the nuances of that. But the basic idea that I'm, I'm extrapolating out of this is that your future is informing your present and there's multiple potential futures. Mm -hmm. And so the habits and decisions and choices based on the embodiment primarily of who we're being and the, 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 the behaviors that emerge from that mm -hmm. are going to naturally align to a particular timeline that takes us in a certain direction. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, offer this quick little reframe this is so it was essentially retranslating what you just said in a in a different way which yeah. is if we think of ourselves as the result of every choice we've made in the past then we're saying my past equals my now right. we're saying cause we're taking the old in a sense newtonian model of of physics which is cause and effect so this my past is causing my present in the now. Mm -hmm. Now, the truth is I'm actually causing an effect based on, based on the stories I tell about my past in the now. Yes. Not because of my past, but because of what I'm making the choices I've made mean in this moment. So mm -hmm. actually nothing in the, fact, in the past can actually cause an effect, I am causing the effect based on how I'm perceiving the past. Right. So what if right. I actually decided that I'm not the end result of my past? I'm not an adult that has done all these things to become an adult and learn these things based on my past. What if I was a child of my future self? Mm -hmm. What if I had no past? What if this was day one yep. and I was going undergoing a uh, an unparenting or a reparenting from my future self that already has it all figured out. And this is why when I talk about time, I think it's one of the most empowering subjects to talk about because when you know beyond intellect, but you know in your heart, in your bones, that your future self is just as real as your past or your current self, you'll give yourself permission to actually receive inspiration from the future self in a way that's real for you. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a great reframe. And what that may, the, what that reminds me of is certain studies um, that have been done to show that our our past is really a comb a combination of stories, like you said. And then to the literal fact that our brain is different. We have a different brain now that's been remodeled than it was at the moment of whatever the particular story and the emotional impact that it had. Um, we literally have a different brain. So they've shown that at least 50% of what we remember is actually fabricated. It's embellished. It's actually made up to some degree. And I know that's true because I can go through my past experiences of re-rehearsing certain stories and then coloring in a certain way. And there was a certain, almost like I'm creating something out of it that I know darn well was not the exact experience and doesn't factor in all the factors 
that created the experience. So I'm almost rehearsing a fabricated version of a story to create the emotional, emotional sensation that I'm living right now, whether that happened to me 20 years ago or whatever the case is, I'm re-experiencing and re-stimulating the chemistry. Mm-hmm. And, and in this present moment, I'm re-experiencing the past or my version of the past, which typically probably isn't better or worse than it is. It just, whatever it is, I'm creating it. And I like the perspective that you bring up, which is actually one of the things I wanted to talk about. So we're in tune here. You actually brought it right up, which is that, you know, the Newtonian mechanistic model of cause and effect is one way to go about it. And that's how we've kind of adapted. And that might just be a story that we've adapted to explain a linear phenomenon, which is not the whole story, but then this idea of causing the effect. Um, that, that is the new story that we get to script for ourselves, which creates completely different results, right? Yeah. Well, cause and effect is interesting. Cause and effect is meant to teach us that everything is one thing. And it's like uh, two sides of the same coin. So if I do something to this thing, it'll have an effect on the other side of the universe. It'll affect this person. That'll affect that person and that person. And that effect will touch everything in existence. If you actually, you know, had the capability of perceiving it, you would see that, like they say, the butterfly that flaps his wings can create a hurricane or a tornado on the other side of the world. And so it's a, it's a learning mechanism. And so is time and space from the perspective Mm -hmm. of spirit. Let me create a process for myself because living outside of time, there's really no process. Mm -hmm. And so how do you create a novel or new experience if you're instantaneously that experience from a non-time perspective? Well, you create space-time. And that's actually a term that most people don't use. They either call it time or space, but it's really the same thing. And it allows us to forget this idea that we are multidimensional beings and come into a state of forgetfulness so we can remember from a new point of view, thus creating a new or novel experience, putting new information into the field, new experiences, new perspectives, which creates expansion in the universe, expansion in the individual, expansion in the soul. And so time and space is is quite literally a learning mechanism. How do I learn more about who I am or what the ancients called know thyself? Mm. How do I self-reflect, which is another word for consciousness. It's just Mm. self-reflection, self-awareness. How do I do that? Well, I can't just be aware of all that is. I can't be aware that I'm all that is and and then become aware of something else because I'm already that. So I have to forget that by design. And, And so a lot of times we forget that we chose to forgot to forget. And we go, Oh man, you know, I wish I was there. You know, I wish, I wish I was enlightened. I wish I didn't have this process that I was in. And what we're remembering is the process is the point. And the paradox is that when I have fun with the process and I accept where I am now, and I get so caught up in the moment, I give permission for this frame that I'm in to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's another great way of articulating this phenomenon. And to have one foot in the material, one foot into the quantum, I think is really that, that, that balance point where we can really maximize this human experience because we're not, we're not discrediting or disowning one or the other by just saying, okay, the material world doesn't exist. It's like, no, clearly I'm on a computer like this. Yeah. This is all, this is very convincing experience and there's also the 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 space time there is also the quantum in between space 
where all things exist simultaneously. But in this world that we live in, there's a bit of a lag time, which is to the benefit of us to, like you said, I love that frame that this is set up for us to learn. Mm-hmm. And um, there's all kinds of interpretations and ways that you can wrap that around. I like your style and how you articulate mm-hmm. these things very clearly. And also from this perspective that this is, this is leading us through a particular process or a rite of passage, if you will, mm-hmm. um, towards you know, who are we becoming? And not just who are we becoming, but who do we want to be? I think that's a great question. Mm-hmm. There's not many people seem to ask that question or maybe they do ask it, but they don't truly commit to that process of creative ownership, right? It kind of gets put off to like the divine or the universe or some power outside of us to determine who we're going to be, which again is at the effect of a cause outside of us. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm curious what your perspectives on that are in the, in, in the, in the I'm going to use this word embodiment. How do we, so how do we embody, I guess, our wholeness as a fully integrated being with yeah. one foot in each realm. Nice. And yeah, you know, yeah, whatever, like that's perfect. Yeah. So first thing I want to want to state is that you are subject to the laws of the world in which you identify with. Mm. You are subject to the laws of the world in which you identify with. So if you're fully identified with the physical world as this is it, This is the absolute truth. There is nothing beyond this. This is as real as it gets. You're also subject to ideas of temporariness. Mm. You're subject to ideas of being out of control. You're subject to the ideas of being separate. And what would it be like to be a wave in an ocean and not know you're the ocean? You'd feel so small. You'd feel like at any moment, you'd just get rocked by other waves and tsunamis and the unknown, right? And so it's a fundamental uh, difference in the way that you perceive yourself and your relationship with all that is. And one is a very separate, uh, fear-based place. And usually that uh, expresses itself in the need to control, dominate, embellish. I mean, there's many symptoms of a feeling of powerlessness. Um, But in general, you can say it's victimhood. Now, the opposite is if I identify with with being a spirit, with being an eternal and destructible being, which... I always say your resonance is your remembrance. And when I say these ideas to people, I say, you're an eternal, indestructible being. Very rarely they go, no, no, I'm definitely not. Very rarely is there an actual instinctual conviction that that's not true. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the shifting in consciousness. We're remembering without the need to have the traditional, you know, evidence-based scientific research to go, no, I know I'm an indestructible being. Mm-hmm. Although our science already implies all of this stuff. We just don't have a lot of people bold enough to make the claims and we don't have a lot of technology that's actually advanced enough to measure consciousness, but, but that's coming. So when we identify with our spirit self, we know we're indestructible. We know we're eternal. We know that it's not about the form of reality. It's about the energy behind the form. This is the metaphysical understanding of opening the third eye. It just means I'm seeing through the reality. Mm-hmm. I, I don't say, oh man, there's a, this car accident that I'm in is absolutely bad and just has to be this way. We go, wait, I get to choose what this means. I get to see this. This must be here to serve me. That's what it actually means to, to have your third eye open. You're just not subject to what you see on the surface. And so it's, it's the journey without distance from the head to the heart, because when you're identified with spirit, you're, you're, you're in the heart, right? You're seeing things from an expanded point of view. And the process of getting there isn't a doing 
It's an undoing. Mm-hmm. And so you have mm-hmm. children who naturally wake up and they just create. They create art. They just share. They like find food and they just give it to you. And then they just walk on and, you know, it's the cutest thing. And that's their natural state. They didn't have to learn that, right? So what, what are we doing? We're unlearning anything keeping us from our natural state, which most people don't consider our normal state. Mm. And our natural state is I'm acting in my passion, even if my passion is expressed in this moment as I need to go to the bathroom because out of all my choices, that's the most important one right now. And there's a feeling to that. And a lot of times we discount the small steps or the little things, but really this is a moment by moment choice to act and and choose the most exciting, inspiring, creative, joyful choice. Mm-hmm. And, and more specifically, <clears throat> it's, the, it's the actual energy of excitement and passion. Okay. And this is even what Christ talked about when he said the passion of the Christ will connect you to God. What does that mean? It means that heart symbolized as a heart on fire. Mm-hmm. When you're burning for something, that's when you move mountains. And here's, here's the, the new understanding. It's natural for you to do that. Yep. It's not unnatural. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's actually more difficult to not do that. Yeah. It takes energy to be someone you're not. It generates energy mm-hmm. to be who you are. So the fundamental understanding and skill set, spiritual and I guess just consciousness skill set, transformational skill set are the tools of integration, integrating the self. And all that really means are the aspects of myself that I see as not myself, the aspects I have disowned or uh, fragmented or compartmentalized, I'm now bringing those back together. And what happens naturally, because everything here is actually a reflection of the self. Everything outside of us is not really outside. There's this fundamental mistranslation of my spirit's in my body. Truth is, is your body is actually in your spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is everything here. And it might be just an intellectual theory. You go, oh, well, that sounds pretty cool. But if you want to actually experience that, then it's about going within and finding the aspects of yourself that are separate, that are negative, that you're ashamed of, that you feel guilt towards, all these ideas, bringing awareness and acceptance into those ideas allowing them to come back into yourself in a new and positive way. And what happens as a natural side effect is as you become a more whole version of yourself, yep. you start seeing things as a whole, right. as, as a reflection of the self. So you see less separation in things and you have the experiences of, ah, I see how that tree is, you know, is literally a projection of my consciousness. I see the same laws that govern that tree govern me and it's experiential and there's no separation. And I, I would never sacrifice nature at the expense of technological advancement. All of the side effects of, well, what happens when I integrate myself? Well, I now consider my choice making my decision making from the, from the frame of considering whole systems, because I know I'm a part of that because I'm now becoming a more whole self. So I have to consider the whole picture, you know, and, and so you don't really need to teach people, okay, you need to consider whole systems and, and da, 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 da. it's about what would keep them from naturally yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah. idea that they are nature. They're not of nature. They're not a part of it. They are nature. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just a natural side effect is as I integrate myself, in a sense, what you do, you become transparent to yourself. 
and you allow the inspiration, the passion, the, the synchronicity to flow through your life and you allow yourself to be in your flow and that flow knows where you need to, need to go. It's the path of least resistance. It yes. continues all forms of abundance. It has an innate support built into it, just like the tree has an innate support built into it because it chooses, because it has no choice to, to be itself. It can't, it doesn't choose to be a bush. It would fail at that idea, but it, it doesn't have free will like we do. And so it's naturally supported. There's natural ease and balance. So we have that as well when we're in our natural state, right? And when we're in the natural state, then we see everything in through the lens of its natural state. And we become hypersensitive to what's not natural and, and what is natural, right? So when we, we become transparent to the self, every situation becomes transparent as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lack of confusion it, with ideas. Usually confusion is I'm not being transparent with myself. I'm not being honest. Mm-hmm. So when we're transparent with the self, any situation becomes transparent. Yes. And so it, it, there's, it's always the mirror. It's always about going off. I can't figure out if we have these problems in the world, my challenge in my relationship here, it always comes back to, am I allowing myself to come back into unconditional love? Meaning unconditional acceptance of myself in this moment, meaning there is absolutely zero resistance I'm experiencing mm-hmm. and 100% allowance of the other person or of this world issue. Until I'm in that place, I'm not in my right mind. I'm not in a, in a coherent place to make a choice based yeah. on this whole system perspective. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, incredibly said. Yeah, there's, there's a number of different things that come up for me. One of them is this, this idea that, you know, it's, it's really getting, it's moving out the blocks that allows the current of energy to flow. And from a, from a, a, a chiropractic and, a, and an inner physician perspective of the healing of the body, it's not the allopathic model, which we could just relate to as like the Newtonian model, which is mechanisms looking at the individuation of our organs, our skeletal structure, whatever, whatever. And then, you know, compartmentalizing that to the degree where we're actually taking organs out, replacing them, tinkering around like a, a machine to the point where there's more of a vitalistic, natural approach to healing and health, which deals with unblocking the impediments of the nervous system or of, or of the overall system, whatever that impediment may be, and looking for where the block in the flow of energy is so the inner position of the body can do what it's designed to do without added obstruction, whether it's from an outside source or it's just whatever is going on in the body, whatever's blocking that flow of energy. And one of the things you said that is really interesting is that the body is in the spirit which is something I understand. And from a, from a unified field perspective, it's, it's the same thing. These are all just words alluding to the exact same phenomenon that we're talking about, which is that there is a unification that is implicit. It's implicate into the order of life. And it's our, it's our misappropriation of perspective that really I find is the issue. And one of the things I'll just end on this note, one of the things I heard Michael Beckwith say when he was giving an interview recently, he, he was talking about a story where, you know, he, he had a certain relationship with his father and um, he, uh, you know, whatever the, not to get into it, but basically one day he came over to visit his father and he was used to his father being kind of like stern and, you know, whatever. And um, he, he had a, a, what he calls an appropriation of his perspective. And all of a sudden his 
his experience of his father was completely different. Mm. There was no like judgment. There was no weird energy. It was just, he saw this glow around his father. His father was doing exactly what he has always done. And what he said, what Michael said was, he said that nothing changed with him. My perception was healed. The mm. judgments that I had about him growing up, all of that was healed within me. And all of a sudden my experience of him completely changed. Yeah. So let me just add to that. That's beautiful. And so what, one of my favorite texts is of course, miracles. And they talk about a, what is a miracle? And they say a miracle is a shift in perception. Yes. And because all minds are connected, when one mind shifts, all minds shift. And so what happens is my job is only to allow you to be as you are and have zero insistence or refrain from the blasphemous idea that I think I know what's best for you. Mm. and that you should be a certain way. And if I know that your process is important for what it is, even if I can't imagine why you need it, why you're choosing those things, why you're choosing self-destruction and environmental degradation or whatever it may be, even if I don't understand that, I need to know that that is your soul's journey, that collectively we're all going to be okay, that it is going to work out, that we're all eternal indestructible beings, that you are also a child, daughter of God, of all that is. And even if you do something wrong, doesn't mean you as a person are wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of my favorite quotes, quotes from the course says, it's your job to tell your brother they are right, even when they are wrong. What that means is you're not condoning negative behavior. It means you're not judging them as an invalid person, as unworthy, as separate from yourself, even if someone is acting in a way you don't prefer. Right. And so it's yeah. like you're, you're seeing, you're seeing the person for who they are or who they exactly. can be versus who you're judging them as being in that moment. Exactly. And that's the subset idea of my self-worth isn't determined on what I do, what I've done or what I haven't done. Mm-hmm. It's determined on who I am and who I am is an aspect of all that is. And that can't be taken from me. That is a innate property that you exist. And like science said, has proven energy can't be created or destroyed. You exist. That's permanent. You can't change it. That's proof that you're needed because creation doesn't create mistakes. Think about a mistake in creation. Well, if it's created, then it wasn't a mistake because it was created. Right. Right. So there's just these built in obvious paradoxes. Oh, you're here. That's important. You're needed. You're deserving and worthy or you wouldn't be here. If you truly weren't needed, you wouldn't exist. You know? And so that if you take that basis and you go, ah, everyone is here, then you realize every person I meet is a holy encounter. Every person on the planet has a certain job to fit their own divine design, their puzzle piece that is perfect for them, that doesn't only fit in and support everyone else, but, but allows everyone else to support them. Mm-hmm. And that's just the self, the self-organizing nature. And here's the thing: we don't need to learn how to, in a sense, self-organize everything. That's built in to the intelligence of God. We just need to learn how to be ourselves, our, our mm-hmm. true, natural selves. And then everything else is a synchronistic unfolding of excitement and challenge. It's not like it's going to be just, you know, bliss the entire time. Yes, that is a stage of consciousness that we we can enter, but we are in the transformational age. I think that's pretty obvious. Yes. And so we did sign up to say, ah, 
I'm going to declare who I am. And because of that, I'm now going to face everything I'm not because I want to go through that process. And so that's why integration and integrating the self is really the, I guess, only practice when it comes to, to, you could say enlightenment, spiritual realization, happiness, becoming more of yourself. It's really just about learning how to face fear, which is not the opposite of love. It's the absence of love. Just like how dark, darkness isn't really a thing. It's just the absence of light. And what is light in a metaphysical understanding or translation? Light is awareness. It's mm-hmm. understanding. So when you go enlightenment, all that means is inner understanding. Mm-hmm. And so it's bringing light awareness to fear and understanding how to move through the process of taking a negative unconscious fear-based belief and, and transforming it, not neglecting it, not, you know, g- uh, uh, obliterating it yeah. because then you're just going to make it louder, but to use it in a way that is positive. And it's like the yin and yang within the dark, it contains the light. And within the light, there's a doorway to the dark. And our job is to integrate them both, which creates the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Right. So I can give you a, just a basic framework of integration. If you think that yeah, will help. Yeah, I was kind of going to go in that direction. Yeah. So first thing is to understand that the, the blueprint level of reality, are belief systems, it starts as ones that aren't as relevant, but I'll just paint a picture, the collective unconscious and then your unconscious, and then your subconscious, then your conscious mind. If we start at the subconscious mind or the unconscious mind, that's the home of beliefs. There's this fundamental misunderstanding, and it's a lot of the literature, that our unconscious mind is somehow lower than our conscious mind. But if you look at a physics perspective, the unconscious mind is actually a higher frequency than the conscious mind. Why? Because it's less physical. We're not aware of it. So it's in an actual higher frequency. So a lot of times in these workshops or, you know, so, sometimes in the, in the transformational community, a spiritual community, it's dig down deep and, you know, get really upset and cry and find all those beliefs. And you're like, you're, you push someone so hard that they actually shrink in their vibration and then they're incapable of having realization and a shift in their perspective. And so the belief level of the unconscious mind gives birth to the emotional level, which you can say is the subconscious mind. So when I act in a way that is not what I prefer, but I'm unconscious of the belief that is fueling that action, I'll feel an emotion, right? Or if someone says something to me or triggers me, usually the first thing that we feel or how we react is emotionally. And so, ah, I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm reactive, I'm projecting, I'm angry. Right in that moment, what that's telling you is you have a belief that is creating this emotional state because you can't have an emotion in a vacuum. You can't just spontaneously take on an emotion. This is like a, the empath, you know, a rationalization of the victim. Well, I'm an empath. I just take it on. Side note about that. This is this, I call this the, the tricky empath. And this is actually a very empowering thing that a lot of people that identify as empaths do that they don't know they're doing. And it's like a trickster archetype to trick themselves into, into transformation. They go, this isn't my emotion. This is your emotion. Oh, but I'm feeling it so deeply. And then they allow themselves to process sadness using that person as a mask, as permission, because it's safe to move through their own sadness yeah. that they're afraid to look at. They're not attached to it, right? 
Right, right. So it gives them permission to go, well, it's not mine. So I don't have to think this is bad, wrong, or I'm powerless. It's yours. But I'll just use it as the mass to process my own stuff. Anyway, so the, the key is knowing I can't have an emotion without a belief or a definition about something first. When you have that understanding, then you can ask the right questions. And it's questions that pull through answers through your imagination that allow you to self-reflect. And so if I'm getting triggered from something, the first thing that I would do is I'd stop and I would be in full allowance and acknowledgement of the emotion. And the first thing I would say, and I often will still do this is, ah, this must be the most important thing in my life right now. Negative emotion comes up. Oh, this must be the most important thing in my life right now. And another one that I'll say is, this must be here to serve me exactly how it is. And so I let the anger come in. Okay. Oh, angry. Ah, this is here. No good, no bad, just acknowledgement. Oh, this is here. In that moment, I give myself permission to feel it. A, A general range for an emotional experience. If we're not with our mind and our belief system perpetuating it, meaning continuing to choose it, the normal length is usually only about between 18 to 30 seconds of actually letting that single emotion be expressed through our body and the chemicals to run through. So actually a very short experience. So a lot of times we're like, I'm so afraid of feeling fear, but really you're just going to feel uncomfortable for about 30 seconds unless you keep choosing it and reinforcing it. Mm -hmm. So it's a short burst of, ah, okay, there it is. Can I have zero judgment around or zero resistance around this resistance and let it, let it be here without needing to figure it out yet. And that's always the first step. Okay. Acknowledgement. What that does too, is it says, I'm putting this negative idea on the same table as the positive idea. They're both welcome. They're both equal. That energy is allowance, is acceptance. That's the energy of love and love transmutes all, right? And so, ah, you're okay. You can be here. In that moment, you actually raise your frequency a little bit. You pop up out of the clouds and I know you've, you've probably experienced this many times. When you let yourself cry, you come out feeling a lot better and you see things clearly. But if you don't let yourself cry in a moment where maybe you need to cry, then typically you get stuck in mind loops. Totally. I'm trying to figure my way out of it, but you haven't shifted your consciousness yet. And so this, is, this isn't really a doing process. None of this really is a doing because transformation is actually a state of being letting go is actually a state of being, but we just need to, for most of our belief systems, break it down into kind of a process to put it in a linear thing to understand. So I let the emotion come up. I absolutely feel it. As soon as I'm in full acceptance and allowance of it, meaning I actually do feel a shift in my state. I feel a little lighter. Then I can ask the question, what must I be believing about myself in relationship to this situation in order to be feeling this way? What am I, because you're, it's always going to be a reflection of what you are are believing about yourself. So you ask that question, oh, you know what? I'm in this, you know, uh, in my relationship and this, you know, my partner yelled at me, ah, what am I making this mean about myself Mm -hmm. in order to be feeling angry? Mm -hmm. And that moment is a, it's like a feminine uh, expression to stop and inquire and receive the answer. And if you're not afraid of hearing the answer, you'll receive it. It just takes one ingredient, self-honesty. If you're not being honest, then you'll just avoid and this and that, but you won't, you'll only not be honest if you're afraid of hearing the answer. So here's the skeleton key to all negative beliefs. And it's this, and this will drop your fear around facing negative beliefs. 
you can never find a negative belief that is actually true about you. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. And this is not philosophy. This is physics because the nature of negativity as an energy, not as a moral evaluation, as an energetic state is to contract, is yep. to separate, is to compartmentalize. So if I actually had a belief that was you're not worthy and that was true, by definition, I would be separate from everything else. And if that was true, by definition, I wouldn't exist. Right. So we cannot ever find anything in the darkness that is actually true. And so what will you find? More of what is true, meaning more of you, more of yourself, meaning more love. Yeah. So when you know that, wait a second, in the darkness, all I'll find is more of myself, more love, more joy, even if it seems like it's going to be scary. I know I'm not going to die. I know nothing's going to be there. Then you're willing to look. You're willing to hear the answer. If you're willing, you'll always get the answer. You just need to ask the right questions. So there's typically two questions. I'll just bring this full circle is number one, what am I making this situation mean about myself? Because remember, no situation, no circumstance contains built in meaning. We are the ones to say, this means that, that means that, that is our free will. That is our response ability. The second question is, what because if that doesn't come through because fear likes to hide in its nature because as, as soon as you see it it's done as soon as you acknowledge it people think when i acknowledge my fear that's the beginning of the process that's actually the end unless we believe change is hard and i need all these processes and i need to go burn a letter and do all the and, and go to the ocean and spread the ashes and then i'll let it go you can do all those things yeah, the ritual yeah but mechanically fundamentally the transmutation occurs when you acknowledge the fear and pure acceptance and you see for yourself that it makes no sense because that again is the skeleton key of negative beliefs. They don't contain logic. They can't be logical, mm-hmm. but they seem logical when you're not looking at them, when you're buying into the, the blame and the avoidance yeah. and yeah. dancing around them. It goes, Oh, that seems logical. But when you look at it, you go, that doesn't make any sense. And that's not even mine. And yeah. You let it go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, so incredibly well put. And one of the things about that, that I, in my experience and my understanding is that in order to experience that expansiveness, and this is, this is kind of the, the simplicity of it, which is like from a somatic perspective, it's either contraction or expansion. That's how I've really deducted it at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like safe, unsafe, true, untrue, um, yes, no, that kind of thing, where in between is all this other data of like, construed rationality and all this this potentially just very complicated set of information that we're creating to create a barrier between us and actually committing to something yeah. a lot of times right just avoiding it's like no i'll just be in the in between it's like there is no in between there's a, there's a yes and a no you're making a decision to be passive or to avoid the truth okay so that's one thing and another thing i i that came up out of this with that said the expansion contraction making it easy from a visceral perspective because your mind is your body but if you're disembodied mm-hmm. then you're going to be in the noosphere you're going to be in this mental sphere but you can't actually feel the intelligent communication that your sensory system i.e your body is attempting to communicate to you which is where which is how we navigate and interface in this material world. It's not through the, the, the mind itself, but a mind integrated into the body, which is where the mind actually has 
productive power. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like breaking that down again. To me, it's like, okay, expansion or contraction. If it's contraction, can I be in the fire of that contraction? I.e., can I be in the fire of my judgment, in my guilt, my shame, my whatever the emotion is? Can I sit in the fire of it long enough till it burns away and, and I can emerge like the phoenix mm-hmm. as the expanded, expansive self, which always happens if I can sit in the fire. But if, I, if I'm getting, if I'm avoiding that discomfort, which to your point is very temporary, but we elongate it for years and years and years simply by avoiding it when it really is, you know, medicine ceremonies or breath, works, breath work or whatever the process is to tap into that. Mm-hmm. You can move that discomfort without avoiding it. You can fully process that somatically um, and move it very quickly. And out of the other end always is this expansiveness, which alludes to me that that energy, that contractive energy is holding a weight on us because to your point, I'll finish this to your point, you always feel lighter, right? Mm-hmm. There's always this lightning, whether it's a, it's a series where you got to cry and you got to, you got to purge or you got to um, do whatever your thing is to exercise that energy. There is always a, a lightening of the load that comes, that comes off the other end. Yeah, exactly. And it's, through the tears that the chemicals are actually moved through your body, through the, the crystals and the tears that go, okay, you're now ready for a new biochemistry because your beliefs shifted. Yeah. And what a lot of people also don't understand through the lens of living in a holographic reality is every change is a total change. So you make one shift within yourself. Every aspect of your reality is now completely different. Mm-hmm. And you have to know that you just have to know I'm, I'm a new self. I'm, I'm a different self on this podcast than I was the other day. I'm a different self in my relationship, right? Because again, now you're living in a way where you actually understand what causing an effect is Mm. and your identity gets to shift in a way that's real. And and, I mean, my most radical experience of this was just this last December. I had a awakening experience where afterwards I came to my apartment and was like, whose apartment is this? And I threw away, like, or I donated like 80% of my clothing and like rearranged the whole apartment and like threw out paintings. And like I had to reorient my entire environment to reflect how I saw myself because the degree of perceived change, but you're, that's available after one shift, after one moment where you go, okay, I'm going to let myself feel this. Yeah. I'm going to recognize this belief is not mine. It's not true. It's not invalid, bad or wrong. It's just not what I prefer. And so, and so it is. And as a natural side effect, the opposite belief will replace it. Oh, well, if I'm not powerless, that must mean by default I'm powerful. Mm. So we can go through processes of reinforcing new beliefs, but it's actually not necessary because, again, we're born knowing we're powerful. We're born knowing that we're loved and connected. That that's a those there's default natural states. So really, we're just returning to the natural state. Mm. Okay, so this brings up an interesting thing. So we before we got on the the recording, we were talking a little bit about that in between state, and um, you know, so when you going through this process and everything that's been said, the challenge can be the stabilization 
of that state, you know, say you make a quantum leap, you have a transcendent peak experience, mm-hmm. but then it falls off because then you, you revert back to the, the circuitry and the patterning that has been so well embedded and the grooves in the brain have been so embedded. Yeah. So then my, my um, inquiry with you on that note is that how can somebody practically begin to instill the new identity and the new upgraded operating system they've had the experience they've had a visceral somatic experience they know it's real but now they have to re-rehearse yeah a new self because the old self has been so well rehearsed mm-hmm. even though they know that that's not their highest preference the amnesia effect kicks in and it just can sometimes be this back and forth oscillation but ultimately it doesn't have to be right yeah perfect so it starts with the true definition of change so and or transformation. The true definition of change is not, oh, my circumstances have changed. I've right. created new results. I'm different now. It's I have changed. I am still responding and making a new choice regardless if my circumstances have changed or not. And so if you go through an experience where you feel different and you leave that experience and you go back to your life and your circumstances don't change, but you continue to act as the new self would change, would be, would act, your circumstances have no choice but to change because they really can't contradict your state of being. Right. The state of being creates the circumstance. So if you default because of your circumstances, you actually haven't changed. What that means is it's not that you didn't let go of a belief. It's that you didn't find the core belief because core beliefs build in structures like building. Mm-hmm. So then you just have to know, ah, there's more. I need to keep digging. That's it. So let me go back. Okay, if my behavior actually hasn't changed, because knowing and doing are synonymous. If you know you are this new identity and you know it and it's who you are, you will act like it and that's it. And it will feel exciting. It won't feel scary. There may be some fear that comes up, but it won't be the same fear. It right. may be an, another one you're now ready to look at. So right. it will feel like, ah, this actually feels like more of me. This actually feels more normal. That actually feels more exciting than these other choices I've been choosing. And if you don't do that, then you might have let go of a couple of beliefs, but there's still this core belief, which is usually some variation of, I'm not worthy, I'm undeserving, you know, I'm not worthy of love, these sort of ideas. But you have to find what it is for you. And yeah. so in that moment you go, oh, I have, you know, I'm defaulting back to the old behavior. Remember the motivational mechanism, what creates all motivation. For some reason, if I'm defaulting to the old behavior, I actually believe on some level that that's serving me, even though objectively I recognize it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You have to go back into the belief system and say, wow, why would I believe choosing this old default behavior that I say doesn't serve me? Why would I believe that that actually serves me? for some reason? What sort of logic, what sort of story am I telling that says, this is keeping me safe from something? This is helping me avoid something. Why would I choose what I don't prefer? Because if I'm choosing it, there must be a reason I do prefer to choose it. And when you understand that, then you can ask the question and go deeper and and find uh, the core belief. And then when you let that go, you'll automatically make the new choices. Yeah. Okay. So it's not, so as you mentioned, it's not, it's not using outside circumstances as an immediate reflection of who we become, but it's the behavior and the response patterns that we have to the exact same circumstances and how that changes 
and then the externality starts to re- starts to rearrange itself in whatever configuration, whatever way it does in the material world or in the relating ship of people. That that's the obvious one typically. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that that's the idea. So it's not looking to the outside world for validation of our transformation. It's a felt experience, and our behavior shifts in response to the exact same situations it's almost like that's the rite of passage right mm-hmm. that that's how i'm looking at it it's like almost an initiation of transformation mm-hmm. where we we begin to recognize that we are almost unrecognizable to who we become accustomed to being mm-hmm. regardless of what the situation and the circumstances are on the outside exactly and my favorite analogy of this is if you feel you've changed then think about going to a mirror And if you look in the mirror and you look at the reflection and you go, you know what, I'll be happy and I'll smile only once you smile. The mirror (laughs) will outweigh you. Yeah. No matter what. So that's your circumstances. If if you're willing to smile, to act in this way that you say excites you most, regardless of the reflection, the reflection has no choice but to smile. It's just another understanding of it's really not all out there circuit they're really not out there mm-hmm. they're in here and so i need to go first yeah can we one last thing i want to i want to get yeah. your take on before we conclude is this idea of withdrawal symptoms mm-hmm. because who we've been is quite an addiction right yeah. and there's all these subsets of behavioral addictions which are which are you could relate that to like the the subset of beliefs but then the core belief or the core addiction if we want to use that terminology um would be to who we've been used to being and who we've yeah. memorized and, and all the routines and everything. So I'm curious what your perspective yeah, is on. Perfect. Cause I was, I was wanting to mention this. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So all withdrawal symptoms are a side effect of associating with a past that says at some point you were addicted. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I have a past where I was addicted and people that have addictions have withdrawals. But when your identity goes, I've actually never had an addiction because your identity shifts so much. You have spontaneous healing from a holographic perspective. You literally change your past. Yes. You're connecting to a new past. And so when you do that, you go, wait, this version of me has never been addicted. Because that's not the frame in which you hold that. There's spontaneous, you can call it spontaneous healing, but it transcends the idea of withdrawal because you've never been an addict. You don't have that history. And the more that we start to embody a holographic understanding, which is what all the great sages said, we just created a cool word called a a hologram, right? All the great sages have said all of the same thing, that there is only now. And that every moment we're, we're a new person. We're literally being rebirthed every moment. Mm. There is now literal implications in the scientific community. And just wait for the next five years of what comes through around the literal implications of the idea that we are literal new people every moment. And doesn't it make sense that if we're a new person every moment, we are recreating a new past. We have to have a new past every moment as well. And so when we allow the shift to be so great in the moment, because we realize it's available, we can. Then mm. we go, ah, I, this me, never had that past. In that moment, you completely disassociate from any effect yeah. that the past may have. 
Yeah. So what, what I'm, what I'm wanting to um, say in reference to that, and that's 100% spot on true. And also there's documentation to back that up from a, from the multiple personality disorders that have been done where somebody has some form of disease, they have um, food allergies, they have really overt um, symptoms of cancer or whatever the case is. And then they also have a different personality that they switch over and that other personality doesn't have any of those same symptoms whatsoever, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is like one of the most astonishing things. This has been documented many, many times over. Yeah, and And here's uh, the funny part. People will see it, and because of, I guess, the nature of our collective consciousness and where we are right now and what we can infer from these ideas, Uh most people infer or deduce that this means, oh, man, the power of the mind is so strong. Yes, and Mm -hmm. it's not just the mind shifting the body. It's actually that person shifting to a parallel reality, another version of themselves that is existing at the same time in the here and now because everything is here and now and they're actually literally a new person yeah because that that person didn't use their mind to will them over that's that's part of whatever the the you could call it a dysfunction if you'll use that word you could just their that condition is just shifting over and the mind this whole thing on the mind is just so misunderstood and that's why i just take it back to the body because the body is a holistic integrative system Mm -hmm. and to me it's about upgrading the operating system not compartmentalizing the mind as if that's its own thing the mind is that's a whole that's a whole that's a whole system in of itself that doesn't really operate very functionally unless it, it, it's yeah. connected to this. Yeah. And I like to even take it to the level of consciousness and yeah. say, yeah. well, the consciousness is, doesn't exist within space and time. Mm-hmm. And the consciousness is infinite in a sense. And the consciousness can have two experiences at once. It can be experienced in itself as me, as this version of me, as infinite parallel versions of me, because everything is here and now. When has it not been here and now? And that's the one variable science is leaving out of the equation to explain everything. Yeah. They still believe in linear time. Yes. yes. Yes, the experience is true, but that doesn't negate the fact that everything is here and now. And that's a, that's a multidimensional perspective to be able to validate opposites. This is like the essence of the Tao, right? Oh, we live in a time-space reality. That's real. And everything is here and now. The implications of that on a scientific level says, okay, that means there's a version of reality that exists when I'm not sick. And it's not in the future. And it's not in the past. It's here right now. And if I allow myself to mirror and match and shift into that, well, nothing's stopping me from doing that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And that's the true power we have. There's, there's versions of us that have died. And then because free will is fractal, we have free will on this level, on spirit, on every level, have decided to come back and shifted ourselves to reality where we never remember dying. So I could have died 10 times in this life, but said, you know what? I I just want to live more. I want to experience this. I want to experience that. And it may not be relevant for my mind to go, oh, remember all those times you almost died and came back? Because that might break my continuity. I might not be able to be able to explore things if I have those experiences in my mind. Mm -hmm. So from the level of consciousness, we will use self imposition to impose certain limitations to allow us to have an experience but we're so powerful that the the idea of free will that we have is inherent throughout creation and so we think you know well what if i 
I die too early and I don't achieve my mission. Well, if you actually don't, then, then you'll just shift to a reality where you do. Where you do yeah. That's what you need. Right. Mm-hmm. It's that flexible. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, the continuity is strong for sure. And there's so we could keep continue going down the rabbit hole. I think this was incredibly value packed and it probably requires somebody to listen a few times. Probably there's yeah. so much that's been said and, and explained and, and really high level concepts that have also been made pretty simple and very practical. And, um, you know, this is an invitation for people to go deeper into their own self-discovery process, find out what really works best for you from a place of truth and a place of inner alignment and finding that inner alignment based on the communication of your body. Does it feel contractive or does it feel expansive? And let that be your North Star. Let that be your guiding force so you can continue to make those shifts. And it doesn't happen overnight. It can happen overnight. Typically, when we first start this journey, we're not that good at it, right? So like if it doesn't all happen and shift over automatically, don't beat yourself up. It's just like anything. It's the most practical thing ever. It's like riding a bike. You didn't, you, that's why there's training wheels, right? Because you need to get the rhythm and get comfortable on the bike and everything. And then eventually the training wheels go away. You wobble just a little bit, but then you catch your flow and boom, you never forget how to ride a bike. I haven't ridden a bike in years and I can hop on a bike as if I never, I never stopped. You know, it's, it's like that. Um, but there is a, we do have to have this, Marion Williamson has this great quote, quote, infinite patience creates immediate results. I think mm. it's that idea of having infinite patience with ourselves, which, which super, which, which supercharges and accelerates the results. Um, so that's my last little tidbit on this for everyone that's listening. And, um, do you want to, I definitely want people to know where to contact you, where to get resources, but if there's yeah. anything else that you want to kind of tie a bow on for us, please do. Yeah. Last thing, last thing I say around, because you said the word patience and it's always an interesting word for me. Mm. I would take that phrase and, and from my perspective, I would say infinite presence mm. equals infinite results. And for my my experience of patience is I need to wait until this thing passes and I need to be okay with this thing here so I can get here or experience this. Yeah. And typically no one's excited to be patient. They're not like, oh, I can't wait to be patient today. Because that is, in a sense, it's a subtle form for most people of resistance and the ter- a stereotypical sense of, oh, just be patient, it'll pass. Versus I know this must be the most important thing in my life right now. So I need to be fully present with it, acknowledging it, accepting it for what it is. Then I give it permission to change. Mm-hmm. Hence, infinite results. Yeah. And so I always say, and again, my programs I say, change patient to present. If you feel like you have to be patient with something, instead, go be really present with it. Yeah. Go explore a fun way to use it and, and watch the magic of it accelerating mm-hmm. or transforming in your life. I love that. So you can find me on my, on Instagram is really big. I have a lot of resources there of like all my podcasts tied to there, a lot of free content, YouTube videos, that sort of thing. Um, my website right now, super outdated, but maybe by the time you watch this, it won't be, you could always check that out. There's an about me page and some cool stuff to connect. And I have some resources on there. Um, but mainly Instagram and Facebook. I'm, I'm fairly active. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time and joining me on the Holistic Human Optimization yeah, Show. Yeah. This was epic. Yeah, yeah. 
really, really grateful for your wisdom and uh, hope to connect soon. Yeah, sounds good, brother. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating episode of the Holistic Health and Human Potential show. Before you head off, I want to invite you to go to my website for further podcast episodes and tons of free content on holistic health, natural nutrition, and human potential. Please go to www.ronnylandis.net to find out how to take your health and your life to the next level. And also, I want to encourage you to leave a five-star review for this podcast on our iTunes page, which will help me in my mission to get these inspiring messages to millions of people throughout the world. I thank you so much for your support, and I look forward to continuing to provide amazing conversations and content on holistic health and human potential.